Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Well, I mean, ordinarily you would get a joke, you know, to start us off, but uh, I was thinking about preparing the message, and I realized that the the joke's actually on me, because uh, when Pastor John asked me to preach tonight, I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, it's the week and go into Thanksgiving, and I'll be able to preach a message of thankfulness and gratitude, and so I said, yeah, I'll do it, and he goes, okay, well, great, because you're closing out the Beatitude series, and you're going to be preaching on persecution, (laughs) so I'm really super thankful for that. I guess the joke's on you, too, because you get to hear it. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ask you to forgive me if uh, I'm getting over a cold, and so if I have to, like, cough or clear my throat or something like that or raise my voice because when my brother called me, I answered the phone, and he was like, well, hello, sir. May I speak to my sister? <laughs> but uh, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. So let's just go ahead and open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house tonight and for being in your presence. And I pray that this is a message that you wanted given tonight. Let my thoughts be your thoughts and let my words be your words. Open our hearts and minds. And we thank you for what you have for each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me take a sip of this because my cough syrup has sucked all the water out of my mouth. Okay. Well, part of me does wish that we could kind of skip over the persecution part and do something a little bit lighter, but in this house, we teach from the entire Word of God, and it's a lot of tough stuff's in that, and talking about persecution, that's tough, but it's especially needed in order to prepare us for all that we're experiencing and going to experience. There is real persecution that is going on in the world right now. The Bible tells us that, but listen, this is good news. It is but it's gonna take using your kingdom eyes to really see it. And we know that God's ways, which are always better, are not the world's ways, and so we shouldn't study kingdom things using worldly eyes. Because worldly eyes will only see discouragement and despair. Kingdom eyes see joy in Jesus. So as we are now in the good habit of doing, why don't we stand up in reverence for the reading of God's word? And we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes. These are blessings. It's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus himself, the greatest sermon ever preached. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, excuse me, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then our beatitude tonight, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, 
for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you can be seated. So two or three comments about this beatitude. You might have noticed that this is the longest one. There's three verses. It's got two blessings in it, but we'll still treat it as one beatitude. Second, and to be very clear, this blessing is not just for persecution in general. It's persecution only for righteousness sake, for Jesus sake. Persecution for unrighteousness or sin, that's just punishment, okay? You make dumb choices, you pay dumb consequences. And thirdly, it's also interesting to note that the placement of this beatitude, it's the last one. It's number eight of eight. And why is that? Well, if you're living out all of the other preceding seven beatitudes, then you're living out a righteous life, God's way for your life. But you need to remember this because this is very important, that the forces that oppose God's ways still hold great power in this world. And so if you're living in God's ways, which means you're living the Beatitudes, you can expect persecution. Even the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a good recruitment line. He also said in Philippians 1.29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And so now we're off to a really great start right? <laughs> but uh, listen, I know it's going to be bumpy, all right? There's going to be a little turbulence, but we're going to bring this in for a soft landing, okay? So just, just hang in there. Now, one definition of persecution is the act of harassing or oppressing a person or group of people, especially because of their identity. Christian persecution is any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Jesus Christ, Open Door USA, it's the largest network in the world that, that serves persecuted Christians. Their latest report, this is from October 2020 to September 21. Listen to this. More than 360 million Christians worldwide experience extreme persecution and discrimination for their faith. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,765 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. 3,829 Christians were abducted for faith-related reasons. And, and these are just the ones that they know about. And these may seem like faceless numbers, but these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should never forget about them, and we should always be praying for them because persecution is real may come in different forms. Some lead to death, some don't. But for some reason, it's a topic in the Christian life that we don't want to talk about. And if we're honest, we wish it wasn't even in the Bible. But we don't cherry pick the Bible for what we like. We're not afraid of our Bible. We embrace all of it. And we know when we read the Bible, it shows all throughout the Bible that Old Testament prophets and early church Christians suffered persecution. But does persecution really apply to us? Because it seems like we kind of relegate it to a distant place or it's way in the distant past or it happens to other people. It's not here, it's not now, it's not us. It's actually kind of unique to us in this part of the world 
to think that when I give my life to Jesus, everything is going to be just fine. And that's not what God says. For too many believers, we want easy Christianity. We want the benefits of Christianity without having to pay any of the costs, right? And there is a cost to following Jesus. And he told us to count the cost of being his disciple. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And this means that we must be willing to surrender our lives and even die for following him. We belong to him at any and all cost. Everywhere else in the world, people seem to know this because they're paying for it. They cling to Jesus knowing that when they gave their lives to him, that they would probably have to pay the highest personal cost. But let's go back to this. 360 million Christians worldwide experience extreme persecution and discrimination for their faith, not including how many more Christians there are that suffer other degrees of persecution, right, in their, in their schools, workplace, communities, villages, or even in their own families. But let me ask you this question. What is it about all of these millions of people that got them singled out as followers of Jesus Christ? I mean, unless they're walking around in t-shirts that say, I belong to Jesus. I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> I belong to Jesus. <laughs> How do people know that they're Christians? And let me follow it up with this question. Would people around you be able to single you out as a follower of Jesus? In preparing this message, I had to ask myself the same question. Do people even know I'm a Christian? Can people look at you and your life and say, hey, there's something different about that person? Because make no mistake about it, God called us to be different. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It means that you're completely something different. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you been so transformed that people who knew you before Jesus, when they see you now, they see you as different now that he's in your life? Is there something that sets you apart from the rest of the world? Well, let me ask it this way. Is Jesus evident in your life? Because Jesus makes the distinction very clearly between himself and the world and therefore his followers in the world. Jesus praying to God the Father on behalf of his disciples says in John 17, 14, excuse me, I have given them your word, and the, word has hate, the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And one of the clearest explanations for Christian persecution is given by Jesus in John 15, verses 18 through 21. It says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if, it belong, if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So it's pretty clear 
that the world will always push back against Jesus because he's not of this world. And as his followers, we're not either. It wasn't different then, it's not different now. Persecution is still on the table. And if you haven't noticed, we actually already live in a persecution culture. We're set up for it now. We don't call it that, we call it cancel culture, right? I mean, we get to see the world eating its own. Jesus even predicted it. Matthew 24, 10, he said, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another, right? I mean, if you don't prescribe to the thought of the day or you simply hurt somebody's feelings, well, we're gonna destroy you. Where we're gonna shame you, we're gonna ruin your reputation, we're gonna steal your livelihood, humiliate your kids at school, break up your marriage, and chase you out of town. And this is with other unbelievers. So do Christians even stand a chance at avoiding persecution? And the answer is yes. If you go along to get along, if you compromise your beliefs, if you put a basket over your light that's supposed to shine before men, you can fly right under the persecution radar. But Jesus says, this is right after the Beatitudes, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Does his light in you shine before men? If it does, then you know what to expect. Today in America, we're not talking about being stoned to death like Stephen, the first Christian martyr, or dying like the apostles, right? Uh, James was uh, killed by the sword. Peter was crucified. Paul was beheaded even though this same persecution does go on today. We're not really faced with those types of persecution here, not yet anyway. And I know that we all like to think that if we ever faced real persecution, that we wouldn't falter. And I hope we never have to find that out. Peter did. Jesus' closest friend, the night that he was betrayed and handed over, he says, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go to prison, I'll go to death. And yet, he denies them three times before the night is out. At some point, we'll be forced to decide if we are Christians of convenience or if we are Christians of conviction. And you have to ask yourself, what would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to lose a promotion for refusing to wear a pride pin at work? Lose your job for not agreeing to a shady business practice? Lose a friendship for not covering for them in an affair? Lose a family relationship because you love them, but you won't celebrate them in their transition? Maybe even just endure ridicule or scorn because you read your Bible at the coffee shop or in the school cafeteria. If you answered no to any of these, then we can stop here. Because short of a revival, it's only gonna get worse. And with the climate that we're in right now, it shouldn't surprise any of us. If not so long from now, you could get expelled from school or get fired for saying that a man is not a woman. I don't think it's too far after that. You might be, have to go to prison for sharing Jesus or your Bible because all of it's been banned as hate speech. So convenience or conviction, which Christian are you?
You guys look pretty tense. <laughs> Remember, we're looking at this with kingdom eyes now, okay? Kingdom eyes. <laughs> I know it's difficult to keep the bigger uh, picture because it's hard not to focus on suffering and loss. But that's why we don't focus on ourselves. That's why we focus on Jesus. This whole first part of the message was to see how easy it is to look at things from a temporal, earthly perspective. We need to keep the bigger picture. God is good. God can do only good. He loves you. He is for you. He always does what is good for you. And he will even use your suffering for good. And there is no pain or suffering that we've even talked about that Jesus hasn't already experienced exponentially. And that's why no one understands our suffering more than Jesus. That's why his sacrifice is such a great expression of God's love for us. Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Think about how much a father loves his son. There's a special bond there. And I know moms, you think it's between a mom and a son, but you know, from father and a son. And think about how much God the Father, in his infinite love, loves his perfect sinless son. If the father didn't spare his own son, but sacrificed him to pay the penalty of our sin, doesn't that show how much he loves us? Doesn't this show that God will withhold nothing from us? But God didn't spare his son from his suffering, and we shouldn't expect him to spare us from ours. Because there is purpose for our suffering, and it has great spiritual value. And you've heard many times from this platform that God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Parents, you understand this, right? You love your children. You don't wanna see them suffer. But you know that if you shield them from all possible pain, they will never be able to survive in a fallen, broken world filled with it. And as much as it pains you and breaks your heart, you have to let them stumble, you have to let them fall, you have to let them fail, because they'll face all those things when they go out into the world and they have to know how to persevere through it. And your job is to help them prepare for that. And it will be painful for you and your kids. It's not different with our Heavenly Father. He's preparing us for what lies ahead. And as much as it pains him for what pains us and persecution is a part of that, he knows that we will learn and grow and gain so much more from it. Romans 5, 3 through 4 we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. James 1, 2 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, <clears throat> when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Not only are we to expect trouble, but we should welcome it because it's building up our character and endurance in our faith. And our response to it is supposed to be joy. Excuse me. So how do we respond to persecution? Well, it's important how we respond to that because it demonstrates to the world that Jesus is far greater than any of his adversaries. Our first and greatest response is gonna be in prayer. You need to cover everything in prayer. 
It's our greatest weapon in this battle because it is a spiritual battle and we can't do this on our own and in our own strength or power. Paul knew this. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When he was at his weakest, he knew that he could feel God's power in him the most. Pray that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit to strengthen your faith and empower you to stand for Jesus in the midst of your troubles. And then pray for the people who persecute you. That's what Jesus tells us to do, right? Love our enemies and pray for them. Because you have to understand first that the source of persecution is not people. Persecution comes through people, but they are used by the devil. And he hates God. And we are made in God's image, and we are loved by him, so he especially hates us. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Pray that God would help you to not be offended and that he would give you a heart of forgiveness. Don't get angry with people. Don't get angry with people. Your heart should break for people who are lost in darkness. And pray that he would give you wisdom in your words so that when they encounter you, it would open the door to hearing the gospel message so that you can plant a great seed of salvation. And then prayerfully thank God that he is always with us, no matter what we face, but especially for allowing us to share in this unique fellowship with Jesus in our persecution as Christians. Paul's heart was to know Jesus in the most intimate way possible. He gave up everything to pursue Christ and experience relationship with him, and that meant sharing in his suffering, and it even meant death. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he had kingdom eyes. Pray that God would give you kingdom eyes or an eternal perspective to encourage you and motivate you to stay the course and not lose hope. Hebrews 12:2, looking unto Jesus meaning keeping your eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 2 Corinthians 4 says, these troubles and suffering, sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. Troubles will, be over, troubles will soon be over, but the joys will come, to come will last forever. And then finally, <clears throat> finally pray that God would use your suffering for his glory and for advancing his kingdom. You've heard us say before, God doesn't waste a hurt, not a single one. Whatever persecution you may face, you know that God will use it for good. 
and I mentioned him before. Stephen was uh, the first Christian martyr. The Bible says that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And you should read about him in Acts 6 and 7. It's an extraordinary story, and I'm going to do it really grave injustice because I'm going to really condense it because I'm trying to make a point. But he was one of the, the early Christians, right? One of the seven that was elected to help the apostles, like a, a deacon. And no one could out-debate him. No one. And this made people really angry. And so they falsely accused him of blasphemy and had him arrested. And they brought him before the high council who got enraged and stoned him to death. But even in all of that, he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he saw the heavens open and Jesus standing there. And his last prayer was, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And his last words, Lord, don't charge them for this sin. He imitated Christ to his death. One of the witnesses was Saul who was in complete agreement with killing Stephen. The Bible says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Now, why do I tell you this? Because Stephen's death, although it was tragic, it was victorious for him and for God's kingdom. Stephen's death sparked a scattering of people who took the gospel with them outside of Jerusalem and spread it throughout the land. What should have stopped the gospel dead in its tracks in Jerusalem actually caused the church to grow. And Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, had his conversion while pursuing and persecuting those same Christians, driving the gospel even farther. And he became the greatest evangelist in history. We're probably sitting here today because of what happened then. God has put his plan in place from the beginning and nothing will stop it. It's a plan for saving the world through his son, Jesus. And isn't it an honor, a privilege and a blessing that our suffering can play even just a tiny, tiny part of that. Persecution gives me great hope that the church will go on. And now, so having talked through these things, let's take another look at our beatitude for tonight and see if it sounds different to us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We can rejoice now by knowing that God is not just preparing us for what we encounter on earth, but he's also preparing us for what we will experience in heaven. We are being refined and perfected in our suffering. And by sharing in Christ's suffering on earth, we know that we will share in his glory in heaven. And that is something we can rejoice in right now because there really is no comparison between what we suffer in the present and the glory we will receive. And as for Christians, we are truly, truly blessed 
because we not only have something to live for, but we have someone to die for. We do not fear death because we can know with certitude that God is with us here and now and that we'll be with him in heaven forever. Jesus tells us, I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He has not overcome the world with the intention of preventing sufferings, but to reveal to the world that its ruler, the enemy, will not prevail. The victory belongs to Christ and we belong to him. And we joyfully share in his suffering and we thankfully share in his victory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. And we are grateful, so grateful that you are sovereign over all and you work all things for good and for your glory. You know all things, you see all things. Nothing comes as a surprise to you. And we thank you for the honor and privilege to share in Christ's suffering. And we thank you and rejoice now for what awaits us in heaven. Help us soften our hearts to those who may persecute us, knowing that they are lost and need your love. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer for Jesus. And we hope that they can see and find joy in your purpose for their pain. Help us all to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who gave it all and paid it all. We can never thank you enough for all that has been sacrificed so that we can be with you. We love you and we live and die to serve only you. And we pray these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause, or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc, or call 714-255-0930.